How are we doing this morning? All right, it's good to see you. Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, uh, to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've been around the last couple weeks, that is hopefully no surprise um, to you. Today, as Keith said, and thanks to Keith for uh, sharing a little bit this morning, but it's a really special day. Uh, it's a really big day. I think it's a very important day. Uh, and uh, if I can kind of step off script maybe just for a moment and uh, just share a little bit, uh, just kind of my heart, um, I, I think that might be helpful uh, because this has been a very uh, difficult season, um, honestly, for probably uh, most of the staff, I would think, and uh, definitely me and the elders, just uh, really praying and struggling through what does it look like to make a very, very big shift, honestly, uh, being portable for the last seven and a half years to uh, what we believe God opening up an opportunity for us to build a building uh, and trying to do that in a way that honors the Lord, uh, in a way that is functional and practical, in a way that tries to not just engage everyone, um, but to truly try to keep a, a thousand plus people uh, very unified in this process. Uh, it's just a very difficult thing. I would probably say that it's the most difficult thing that I've ever done uh, is to try to navigate this. And uh, a lot of the last 11 months of work and prayer and labor and toil and conversations uh, really kind of lead up to today. And I want to kind of make a little bit of a confession um, that my soul's a little bit tired. Uh, and, um, you know, as I was thinking through that this morning, um, you know, I, th- I thought, well, goodness, th- that's kind of sometimes when God really shows up because uh, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Uh, but also, I think that uh, is going to hopefully come across in what we share this morning. And we're working our way through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, um, but I thought today, a really a culmination of uh, this entire season of this last uh, many years and what we hope and pray that God does in the future, um, but what I want to focus in on today uh, is, uh, is not really uh, a sermon about giving, although this is right in the middle of a month-long uh, look through God's Word at generosity, uh, but really want to do the best I can to just simply elevate uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, and what he has done, uh, and invite him to truly capture our hearts, uh, capture our attention, capture our worship. And so for some of you in the room, maybe that would mean that that happens for the very first time in your life, that you truly become aware, not just cognitively in your mind, uh, but a weight in your soul of who Jesus Christ is and what, in fact, he did on earth for you. Uh, that maybe for the first time you, you, you hear that and you feel that and you understand that and you respond to it and you receive his grace. Uh, but maybe you've been a Christian for a long time uh, and I'm just praying that God would overwhelm us uh, with a sense of what Jesus has done. So that's where I am going uh, this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, this is uh, week 3 uh, in a, a five-week series that we are calling First to the Lord, which if you were here last week, we just uh, copy and pasted that out of the text. That's what Paul says, and so that's what we're looking at uh, for the month of October. Uh, and it's the most potent area that I know of, um, you know, the most concentrated place in the Bible um, that talks about uh, what we've been talking about for weeks now, really Jesus-driven gospel-centered generosity, and so as we have been asking so many people to think about being generous and sacrificial towards this project, we wanted it to be a a very healthy gospel-centered thing, so I don't think there's a better place we can go to try to accomplish that than 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, And and so I want to ask, maybe pose a question and then answer it uh, in a few different ways because I think it's a worthy question to ask um, just about why should we even talk about uh, generosity? Why does the Bible talk about it uh, so much? Why does Jesus talk about it so much? Uh, And and number one, I would say this, um, that very much like many things in our culture, um, 
the, the whole world is talking about it, uh, and the church can't be silent. It's, it's like, like sexuality. Everything in the world is talking about it. Kids at school are talking about it. It's in the movies. It's everywhere. And so if the church is silent on it, that is just normally not uh, a good thing. Uh, and money, so even if you don't talk about money a lot, you think about it a lot. And so if the church is silent on that, it's not a, a super helpful thing. Um, some of you might be um, surprised to know just how often Jesus talks about it. About a third of his parables um, relate to money, Twenty. Uh, 2,350 different verses uh, in the Bible have to do with um, not just uh, generosity, but uh, using money to honor God. Uh, it's mentioned uh, more than two times more than, uh, than faith and prayer combined. Uh, it's just a very important topic in the Bible. That's why we landed here. Uh, number two, it's a part of our discipleship. Uh, if you truly want to follow Jesus, this is a very important component. Uh, number three, I was thinking about this this week. One of our staff members uh, had a problem with her car. And so what she did is she took her car to AutoZone, right? And AutoZone hooked up, so many of y'all have done this, they hooked up their little diagnostic computer to try and uh, figure out what was going wrong so that we could fix it. Uh, oftentimes, and I think this is how Jesus treats finances, uh, it's very, very diagnostic. Uh, you start asking those questions, and that really gets under the hood for what's going on in our lives, what we truly value, uh, what we truly worship. Uh, and I think most of us, uh, myself and so many that I have talked to, uh, we really do. We want to live lives of generosity. Uh, we value that. We admire people um, that live their lives in a very generous way. Uh, you know, I think about, um, and I think probably a lot of us do this. And hopefully you do this. You think about like the end of your life, uh, what would be said at your funeral, what would, what would be, be valued, what would be celebrated. And, and we all know this, that most of the time at the end of someone's life, what is celebrated is what they gave, not what they hoarded, right? Whether that's uh, your, your life, your, your time, your prayers, like just giving yourself away. Uh, most of the time, our lives are measured at the end by what we gave uh, not by what we kept. So we all know that to be true. We all want to be generous people, but statistically, uh, most of us really struggle with that. Uh, and we talked about this th week one, that the, the more money we have normally, statistically, the less generous we are. That if we have about $100,000 or less, so I generally give about 4% as Americans. Uh, and if you make 100000 or more, generally that drops to one. So uh, why is it that the, what we know to be true and even want maybe in our hearts to be open-handed, generous people, what is it that uh, causes us to even struggle with that? Um, and then obviously, we're walking through this first of the Lord season and want it to be about Jesus and truly gospel-centered. So all that to say, um, we're going to land in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 today, uh, where Paul is, he's been, and I'll give you a little bit of a recap if you haven't been here the last two weeks, um, but Paul... Uh, was a, a Jewish man who was very incredibly converted uh, by Jesus to Christianity, became a, a missionary and a church planter, mainly among Gentile people, non-Jewish people, uh, and uh, he planted a church in Corinth, and he planted a handful of churches in an area called Macedonia, uh, and then uh, there was a famine um, that hit his homeland where most of the Jewish people were from and, and lived in. And uh, he saw this as an opportunity to raise some funds, uh, and so 
the context of 2 Corinthians is he's writing to Corinth uh, because the, the, these Christians in this church had made this pledge to be involved in uh, alleviating some of the suffering, um, but Paul was really surprised by some of the sacrifice and generosity of these very, very poor Christians in the area of Macedonia. And so week one, uh, he, he was talking to the Corinthian church about what truly drives the heart of generosity is grace, uh, is and this is why he, he elevates the church in Macedonia. He says they were just overwhelmed by a sense of grace. Uh, and if, if we ever struggle, I think, to uh, really understand and feel the grace we've been given or think maybe we didn't need that much grace, we're always going to struggle uh, with having a generous heart. Uh, second thing he talks about, uh, that they gave themselves first to the Lord. Um, that Jesus got first place in their hearts and everything else uh, fell in line with that. Um, but then today, uh, just what Paul does is he just focuses in on Jesus. And he just elevates and in a very unique way uh, explains the gospel. And so that's what we're going to spend our time doing today. Um, if you did not get uh, one of these, you can go ahead and uh, either grab one in the back of the way or raise your hand. I think we got some staff, maybe. Maybe not. Okay, don't raise your hand. There's nobody back there. Grab it on your way out. And uh, there's some notes in there, some, uh, some pages for you to follow along. Um, but it's, it's, it's such a unique way that, that Paul decides to go about uh, elevating and explaining Jesus and his works. Uh, and I think it's a unique way to explain it in Midland uh, specifically. Uh, because Midland, like Midland, Texas has to be one of the places where you have the most um, rags to riches stories, right? Like, and I love a good rags to riches story that somebody uh, that grew up in a very uh, humble beginnings, um, they did didn't have a big inheritance, perhaps, from their parents, just uh, nothing really, and they moved to Midland and want to uh, make a name for themselves and make some money for themselves, and, you know, they come struggling in, and, uh, you know, clothes are tattered, maybe only have one boot, and they're making their way to Midland with nothing, you know, just just rags, and then they get to work, and they, they sacrifice, and they work hard, and they, um, you know, stay up, stay up late, and just they're, they're hustling, and all of a sudden, they have really kind of done it, and they've made, uh, they've made money. They've become uh, multimillionaires, and just we love a good rags-to-riches story. But what Paul does, it's so interesting and so unique because he tells the story of Jesus in really the opposite way, and, and what, what he tells about Jesus is really none of our goals, like to do what Jesus did, that's probably not necessarily on our radar. And so I think it might have shocked the system a little bit uh, to the Corinthians. It definitely has shocked my system as I've thought, uh, thought through this. Um, because if you take you know, a, a rags to riches story, and I, we're not against that, obviously, if you work hard, incredible. But, but what, what a story like that highlights uh, and probably encourages is, is work and sacrifice and grit, and those are good things. But what, what, what Paul does when he explains the gospel of Jesus in a very different story is he highlights some things about Jesus that he wants to also encourage in us. Uh, love, sacrifice, selflessness, even generosity. And so here's how Paul tries to just focus their hearts on Jesus and what he has done. And I'll make this um, 
admission. Like, my original goal was to get from 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, all the way through 15, and I just don't think we're going to get past verse 9. So uh, you can uh, do some study on your own <laughs> uh, to catch up for next week, but like, it, it's, just, it's such a compelling picture of Jesus in verse 9 that I think uh, we need to spend our time there and truly pray that the Lord stirs up our hearts for Christ. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, for you know. The grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That is not a rags to riches story, that is a riches to rags story. And it's so counterintuitive. I think, you know, a lot of us, if we're honest, we read that story, we're like, uh, Jesus... You're going the wrong way. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's upward, upward mobility is what we're after, not purposeful downward mobility. Some of you are like, well, that's my story, riches to rags. Well, maybe so, but probably not on purpose, right? Like, Jesus is the only one who has chosen to do this in such a profound way uh, on purpose. And so let's just look at this for a few moments. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich. What does that mean? What riches did Jesus walk away from? And I think what Paul's talking about is this picture of Jesus before the incarnation in glory, his life, his experience, uh, the riches that he had, uh, that, that, that we, got, we have to grasp that picture of Jesus. You think about heaven, you think about a throne that Jesus sat upon where there were servants that served him hand and foot, anything that he wanted um, that was his. There are angels and other beings that exist for the sole purpose uh, of worshiping Jesus and glorifying Jesus. You think about the food and the wine and the drink that he had. Uh, it was the, the, the greatest uh, that we, we'll experience someday, uh, you know, outside of going to Murray's, that may be the closest thing that we get, right? Like, like even, even the food that Jesus experienced, there was no suffering. It was absolute pure comfort. There was no pain, no betrayal, no anxiety. Jesus was worshipped and recognized. Everyone in heaven knows who Jesus is and treats him accordingly. There was no one who had any question about his glory or his worth or the worship that was due his name. Like, that was the experience of Jesus before the incarnation. In fact, uh, in John chapter 17... Uh, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, now, and this is towards the end of his ministry, so, you know, think about his life and all, all, all of his, his riches and his experience in heaven, sets all that aside to humble himself, come to earth. At the end of his time here on earth, he says this, he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Obviously, Jesus was missing that. But you think about our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Uh, I want to turn real quick to Isaiah, and you're welcome to turn there with me, or you can um, listen, follow along. Um, and, and I want to read from two different places in Isaiah, um, because Isaiah 6 gives us a, a pretty powerful picture of what Jesus gave up, and then Isaiah 53 gives us a very clear picture of what Jesus was, was walking into. 
So here is what Jesus gave up. And I think maybe it might even be helpful for you to close your eyes and, and use your imagination to try to pretend that you're seeing this and you're experiencing what Isaiah uh, saw. Many of you have this text memorized. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, he says, I saw the Lord. And who's the Lord? Jesus. He saw Jesus pre-incarnate, had a picture, an image of the Lord Jesus Christ himself sitting on a throne. Could you imagine what the throne looks like that Jesus sits upon to govern all of the cosmos? And he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Just this unbelievable, overwhelming vision of his glory and his majesty and his weightiness. And above him stood seraphim, which are really interesting, kind of crazy beings that were created to worship Jesus. And these seraphim, it says, each had six wings. With two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. We could go to a lot of other places to see what, in fact, was Jesus' experience in heaven. Though he was rich, you can't imagine the riches that Jesus experienced. Though he was rich. And then you kind of imagine the picture of Jesus in Isaiah 6, high, lifted up, seated on the throne, beings worshiping him, total comfort, peace, community with his Father, with the Spirit. And then he decides that he is going to trade that in to, to impoverish himself in a way, at least that's how Paul phrases it in 2 Corinthians. You know, I think about this moment, there, there's constant conversations that we're privy to between Jesus and his father about Jesus being willing to do what he did, and, and about the plan for Jesus to come down and to humble himself and to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And so maybe he, he gets up off the throne, takes off the robe, hands it to his father, and then he, and, and as Paul says, though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor, okay, which we might say, you're going the wrong way. What does it mean that Jesus became poor? Uh, a lot of things. Um, that's talking about the incarnation. When Jesus moved from heaven to earth, he went from riches to, uh, to, to physical poverty to, in some sense, uh, spiritual poverty. You think about the most powerful being going to the most vulnerable state. He was born to very poor parents in a poor area. There were no servants uh, in his house to, uh, to serve him. Uh, I'm sure food that they ate was not the highest end of food, uh, probably something akin to bologna sandwiches for us. It was just a very, very humble way to live his life. Uh, there was no trust fund, no savings account, no money for college for him. There was pain, there was suffering, um, there was rejection towards the end of his life. Jesus would be beaten by the hands that he created and, and and he would not be recognized for the majority of his life for who he was. He would be, in, in a very humble way, just like the, the world would not know that their creator had visited them. 
And there's something unique and there's something humbling about being in incredibly uh, glorious, if I can use that word, or like being a big deal and nobody noticing that. I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of people in our world, if they're a big deal, they really want people to know they're a big deal. And if people don't know they're a big deal, they get real frustrated. Um, I saw an interview, you've probably seen this, it was with Jerry Seinfeld, uh, and I think it was Larry King, and um, basically you find out that Larry King doesn't know how big of a deal Seinfeld was, and he got real upset about it. He's like, basically, do you know who I am? Can you think about the humility that Jesus had to walk for 30 years with, like, just the absence of, of worship when people didn't know who they were dealing with and who they were talking to, for, for your sake, he became poor. Isaiah 6 gives us a picture of what Jesus walked away from. Isaiah 53 uh, gives us a picture of what Jesus chose to walk into. Okay, this, this was written 700-ish years before the incarnation, so Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and this is what he had signed up for. He had signed up for moving from Isaiah 6 to Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a plant, like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Meaning there's nothing physically, visibly special or outstanding about Jesus. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised. He wasn't despised in heaven. He was despised here. He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom, hide, whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. I think these two chapters are the key to understanding what Paul means when he says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Begs the question, why? Why would Jesus do that? You know, we would understand if somebody goes from rags to riches, what a driving motivation for that might be. But for someone to walk out of heaven and choose Isaiah 53, that would beg the question, why? Why would you do that, Jesus? Why did you, why did you do that? Yet for your sake, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become Two, two questions I want to answer about that. One, how does that work? How does, how does Jesus' poverty have to do with our riches? And then two, what exactly does Jesus mean when he talks about riches? Two incredibly important questions. Number one, how does that work? How does Jesus choosing to move from, um, from, from riches to rags truly bless other people? What does that have to do with us? Um, I, I want to read something uh, from John Calvin because there were... There, the, 
this whole transaction is what the reformers would call the great exchange, uh, where Jesus uh, swaps with us, he trades with us, he exchanges with us. He lives our life, a perfect, sinless life. We don't, and he trades. Uh, He's righteous, we're unrighteous, he trades. Like just this whole exchange where Jesus takes what, what he has done on our behalf and just gives it to us and takes our sin and takes it to the cross. I, I love the way that the reformers uh, explained this and talked about this as the great exchange. This is what Calvin says. He says, this is the wondrous exchange made by his boundless goodness that having become with us the son of man, he has made us with himself sons and daughters of God. You see, like because he was willing to be, be incarnate, be a son of man, he's given us the right to be called the sons of God. By his own descent to the earth, he's prepared our ascent to heaven. Having received our mortality, he has bestowed on us his immortality. Having undertaken our, wit, our weakness, he has made us strong in his strength. Having submitted to our poverty, he has transferred us to his riches. Having taken upon himself the burden of unrighteousness with which we were oppressed, he has clothed us with his righteousness. That's, that's how his poverty becomes our riches because he has done something on behalf of, uh, of, of, of sinners. We get his righteousness because he was willing to endure the punishment for unrighteousness. We have this, this incredible great exchange because Jesus was willing to go from riches to rags. We are blessed with all of the blessings of the gospel. And you need to know this, you only receive those, you only receive forgiveness and, and, and redemption and restoration um, by, by grace through faith. It's something we receive, it's not something we earn, it's not something we achieve. Just simply open our hands and Jesus exchanges. So like, how, how does that work? Uh, how does it work? We, we, Jesus trades with us. And then the second question I want to answer is, what riches is Jesus talking about? This is so important in our culture. Uh, what, is, what, is, what does Paul mean when he says that by his poverty we might become rich? Does that mean uh, that, oh, Jesus is here, I want to be a Christian, and so I get a Porsche, right? You get a Porsche, and you get a Porsche. If Jesus was on Oprah, is that how it would play out? Like, oh, anybody, you want to come? You'll be rich, boom, and he's just like shelling it out, right? Is that what that means? Because I mean, a lot of people take it like, well, it's right there. Follow Jesus, I'm going to be rich. What is he talking about? And I think very obviously an honest look at this text means he's talking about something so much deeper and longer lasting and more powerful than money. Like true deep riches that can't be taken away is what Paul is talking about. Why? Well, because the example he's holding up for us are the Macedonians. Like the the example of like they have found it. Like they have found the riches of Christ. Oh, by the way, they're poor they didn't have my, like that example falls apart. The example of Paul himself would fall apart if Jesus promises that we will have material wealth simply by nature of following him. Uh, l- listen to what Paul says a-, a couple chapters before what we're reading. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, Paul's talking again to the same church, the church in Corinth, and he says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Now hang with me. Paul's saying, listen, um, in every way we commend ourselves to you as an example. That, that's important for what he says. He says, by great endurance in afflictions, in hardships, 
calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. And then this next series of things, he's going to explain a reality for them as Christians that was very seen very differently in heaven and on earth. We are treated as impostors here, yet are true. It's like, just so you know, like around here, a lot of them, like, they think we're impostors, but, but, but we're not. Like in heaven, we're seen as true, as unknown here, yet well-known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. He's not talking about money. He's like, listen, we commend ourselves to you in every way. We're such a great example. Here, Like we got nothing physically. We're not rich. We are poor. But we're making people filthy rich spiritually like you wouldn't believe. He's not talking about promising material wealth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Just to prove to you what exactly Paul is talking about when he's talking about the riches of Christ. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. There are riches in Christ that go way beyond money. Forgiveness, redemption, true fulfillment and meaning and contentment, joy, Jesus Christ himself, things that, and we know this, like you can have all the money in the world and, and your soul just be impoverished. By his poverty you might become rich. This is, this is a spiritual thing that Paul's talking about. Jesus left the glory of heaven, humbled himself on earth, became obedient to the point of death. We'll look at that in a minute. Even to the point of death on a cross so that we might exchange with him and receive eternal riches in Christ. Now I'm supposed to get all the way through 15, but we're going to have to we're going to have to save that for another day. Uh, in fact, uh, I'll probably circle back around to that uh, in a few months because in verses 10 and 11, uh, he's going to encourage um, the Corinthians that had made a commitment to see it through. And then in verse 12, he encourages them uh, to think about what they have, not what they might have in the future. Uh, and so I want to I point our, our attention back to Philippians chapter 2. And, and we're going to really, I want to set this up and really prepare us uh, for a moment of communion together where we take the elements and we truly think about what Jesus has done for us. About his poverty that has become our riches. But one theologian points out, and he says this, that like the, the true nature of Christ's earthly poverty, he says this, this verse in 2 Corinthians 8 is not talking uh, necessarily about Jesus' economic status or necessarily his uh, material uh, circumstances. He's talking about the true impoverishment of Christ is about the lowly circumstances in which he lived. And he says Philippians 2 is actually what, what Paul's talking about when he's talking about Christ being impoverished. And it says this. 
have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. For though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That, that's the move. That's the Isaiah 6 to Isaiah 53 move. Therefore, Paul says, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible makes a promise that the day is coming when every human being that has ever lived will recognize who Jesus is. And some will raise their hands and they'll sing and they'll worship from heaven. And some will bow their knees in absolute regret and in a whole different way worship Jesus' power and holiness and justice from hell forever. But everyone will know one day who Jesus is. There's no getting away from it. And so what a Christian is, is somebody who has recognized who Jesus is, what he has done, and we bow our knee now, we bend our knee now, we, we, we embrace his uh, forgiveness, we receive his grace, we spend the rest of our lives worshiping Jesus, who though he was rich, he became poor for our sake, so that we might get all of the riches of Christ. If you're not in Christ, there's an invitation to respond to him, to receive his grace, to recognize that he is the Lord, he is the Savior, and I have an encouragement for you to do that today. And truly, maybe, maybe many of you have been walking with Jesus for, for years, for decades. I just pray that this morning, God would overwhelm our spirits and our souls with a sense of what Jesus was willing to do for us. So that's where we're going to turn our attention as we take communion together here in a moment. Let me invite you uh, to bow your head, to close your eyes, and let's pray towards that end. Jesus, you are unmatched. What you stood up and walked away from in heaven is truly staggering to know what you experienced here on earth from us. People ignored you, people mocked you, eventually people would crucify you because you were living your life out in our place for our sins, inviting us to trade with you, to exchange with you. Holy Spirit, I, I, just, I pray this morning that you would overwhelm us, not just our minds, but overwhelm our hearts and our spirits with a deep, deep sense of gratitude and a deep sense of awe that you would even do that because you didn't have to. You didn't have to walk away from that. You didn't have to subjugate yourself to be crucified by people that you made. And so I just, I pray that you would stir up in us such a sense of awe and worship and gratitude that would last for the rest of our lives to help us realize that truly if we are in Christ, we have all the riches that our souls could ever need. 
Riches that go so much deeper than money, that will go so much further into eternity than our possessions, that we have the true riches that Paul spent his life preaching about. God, I pray that you would move us deeply in our spirits to help us to, to worship you. God, we want to, to tell the world who you are and what you've done so that they might bow their knee and their heart to you as well. And we know a day is coming when you will get the worship that you truly and rightfully deserve. So we're excited to sing about that this morning. We're excited to, to sing and to tell you things that are true about you that you love to hear. Thank you that for our sake you were willing to endure the cross. We love you because you first loved us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.